John chapter 3, page 1166 in the Bibles. That may be unfamiliar with you to do that, but um, do turn to it. And then if you've got any questions from that, particularly the courses on Tuesday lunchtime, Wednesday evening will be there for you when you can ask any question. But it'd be great to look at not so much my words, but these words of Jesus and uh, take them away and see what you make of them. Let me pray as we begin. Father God, thank you very much for the words of Jesus. We pray that you'd enable each one of us to leave here today with something more to believe and something to do, and we pray that you'd speak to us in the very depths of our being. Amen. 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 And uh, uh, mobile phones, I wonder if we could have a little doctor of them. That would be great um, if that happens. In my church, we always say, if your mobile goes off during the sermon, you'll be taken out and stoned. But anyway, we won't do that. (laughs) But if you can have a doctor, that would just be brilliant. I don't know if you've ever played that game. Have you ever played that game? If I had my life all over again. Of course, you don't actually play that game unless you're over 30. If if you're under 30, you think you're going to get your act together. But certainly... Once you're 40 and you realize you've had half your life and you start having a furniture problem like me, so my chest is in my drawers these days, you start to be wistful about the things you haven't had a chance to do. So you might ask yourself that question, if I had my life all over again. I mean, COVID did that a bit, didn't it? We were thinking, gosh, the things I could be doing now, I'm not just inside or whatever. Now, of course, some people can't relate to that at all. I spoke to one person and, and they said, well, if I had my life all over again, I'd do exactly what I've done which I thought showed a singular lack of imagination. What do you want to do them again for? You've already done them once. Don't you want some new experiences? So, for example, I'd love to have played a season's rugby with the Maoris in the South Island of New Zealand or with the deeply committed Western Samoans who are known as the heaviest tacklers in world rugby. Apparently, their motto is, it's better to give than receive, Acts 20, verse 24. But, (laughs) But I'd love to have done that or played the saxophone. I'm not musical, but wouldn't that be great to be able to to do that, or, or marry that girl that I married to someone else. I've often thought about that. When I, when I got to the point in the sermon, I was the vicar, but when I got to the point in the sermon where I, had, where I said, does anyone have any reason why they shouldn't be joined together, I nearly put my own hand up. But that problem is I was at mid-off, not square legs. That was the end of that. But I mean, you know, or, or golf or Augusta. Or, well, the issue is, of course, you, you, you can't start again. You can't. But the funny thing is, ladies and gentlemen, and this is what we see today, When it comes to the Christian faith and relationship with God, and that's what we're talking about today, ladies and gentlemen, unless you do start again, you never make it. I wonder if you can see that in the passage we had read for us, because it's staggering and such a surprise. John's Gospel, Jesus here, is so uncompromising, so abrupt and clear. Do you see as we look down verse 3, he says, I tell you that the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless... They're born again. You've got to start again. Verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You know, unless it's categorical, unless there's rain, there won't be crops. Unless you're born again, you don't get Christianity. It's extraordinary. So Jesus is quite categoric here. A person cannot become a Christian unless they're born again. They can't enter the Christian life unless they do that. So can I just say, this is fundamental to Christianity. Now, at this point, I have to say that the phrase born again, my goodness be, it's got some bad PR. You know, it wasn't invented by an American president to get more votes. You know, Ronald Reagan didn't cook it up to get more votes off the Republicans. 
No, no, this isn't narrow or emotional or cultic fringe. This is absolutely central. Whilst, you know, I grew up, and sensible people like my dear mother, in some ways this, that she died 10 years ago, but this, is, this sermon is dedicated to her, who used to say, well, I'm a Christian, but not one of those born-again types. No. This necessity of new birth, ladies and gentlemen, is in the original articles of all the Protestant churches. It's embedded in all the, the creeds. It, it's non-negotiable. It's fundamental. So it's not weird or strange or loony fringe. It, 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 it's dynamite. Here's the issue about a creator God that breaks into people's lives. So as we look at it, I wonder if, if you could remove any unreflected prejudice you may have about the phrase. It's not for dogmatic, crazy people. It's not an option. It's a necessity. And there could have been no one who was more shocked that he had to be born again than the man in verse 1. Can we see as we look down? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. You see, this man had supposedly all the right credentials to be accepted by God. He's got so much to commend him. Surely he doesn't have to start again. So he's a disciplined man. He's a Pharisee. They were lay people who were furious with the clergy because they weren't serious enough. Um, he's an able man. He's on the Jewish ruling council. He's a learned man. Do you see in verse 10 what Jesus calls him? Do you see? You're Israel's teacher. And he's an open man. Isn't this lovely? He comes with a question. Do you know, I was at theological college with some people, age 25, who stopped answering, asking questions. They just answered them. I pity their congregations. I mean, isn't it a terrible thing when someone no longer asks questions? But this man, he's, he's open. He, he's still got stuff to learn, so he comes to Jesus. He'd have been a thoroughly fine man, a law and order man. You'd have trusted him. He'd have been faithful. Uh, and you'd actually don't get more moral than the Pharisees. They were the fanatics of morality. So there was no one more moral, legalistic, upright, and Rotarian than this man. He's the ultimate, if you like, in middle-class respectability. So he would have been very shaken, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus says to him, you, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. It would have been a terrible shock when Jesus steps back and he draws a separating line between this man and real relationship with God, which, by the way, is what we're on about. We're on about relationship with the living God, and Jesus says, no, you're not in that. Now, actually, when someone said to me that I needed to start over, I was so self-obsessed. I remember thinking, well, I do. I bet I do. I could utterly relate to Tennyson, who said, oh, for the man to arrive in, arise in me that the man I am may cease to be. I could relate to that. I was in such a shambles, it never occurred to me that I didn't need to start again. But this is such a thoroughly fine man, so he must have been shaken when Jesus says, you must be born again. So, so can, you, can you see what he says in verse 4? How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. To which Jesus says, don't muck about. Stop mucking about. I'm not talking about physical things, I'm talking about spiritual things. Yes, you need to be born physically. Verse 6, we see flesh gives birth to flesh. But you also need to be born spiritually. Verse 6, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And Nicodemus, all your religious credentials, disciplined, religious, able, learned, moral, all your performing, they're not good enough. 
And actually, they won't stop you being condemned, verse 18. They won't stop God's anger resting upon you. You're still going to have to answer for things on judgment day. Your performing isn't going to get you through, I'm afraid. And I think we can therefore conclude that if a thoroughly good man like this needs to be born again, then, ladies and gentlemen, can I say, you can be absolutely sure that you need to be born again, and I need to be born again. And here's the bit. Do come and chat about this at Christianity Explored. But here's the bit. Ladies and gentlemen, and Jesus is also saying, so does the kind Hindu and the gentle Buddhist and the moral atheist and the fine Muslim. Now, I give thanks for all those people. I've got people like that in my life, and I'm grateful for them. But whatever your cultural or religious background, Jesus insists you need to be born again. Now, the question is, why? I mean, it's very countercultural. This is needed by everybody. Why? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that at some stage or other, all of us have said, perhaps very politely, no to God. We've just said no. Look, I know you give me fun, family, friends, falling in love, food, fitness, but no. You can go to the suburbs. We don't want him to be God over us. No, we might do it very politely, but we've all done it, even Nicodemus. And sin, ladies and gentlemen, sin, that religious word which presses us to put ourselves first. I don't know if you've got that problem, but I can tell you I constantly have. It just presses us to put ourselves first. So we say, well, it's my goals, my agenda, my desires. I'm going to be the main character. God, you can give me each breath, but you be a footnote. And when we treat God like that, it seems to us such a small thing. We think, well, it doesn't matter. Does it? I mean, you know, not with all the stuff that's going on, does it matter? But here's the issue, ladies and gentlemen. It causes us to die spiritually. That's the problem. So we need to be born again because actually, spiritually, we're walking corpses. I was walking through the West End yesterday and people were young, fit, attractive, good-looking. Good but actually, this passage says that unless they're born again, they're spiritually dead. Though they're charming and good to be with. And that's why there's this absolute necessity to be born again. So first heading, what is new birth? What does it mean to be born again? Well, well can, I, can I just say again, it's not something that, that, you know, it must happen. It's not that it can or should or we like it to happen, but it, what is it? It must happen. And just to say on what it is, what I'm talking about here is it doesn't mean putting in more effort. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf or going back on the diet. I did that New Year's Eve. New Year's Day, I made a New Year's resolution that I would have no more puddings except on my day off. And then on my first day off, I had six. It was an absolute disaster. <laughs> but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about going back on the diet. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. No, ladies and gentlemen, here is the issue. Please hear me on this. This is a radical change that God does. What we're talking about here is not something I do. It's a radical change that God does by the power of his Holy Spirit. Have a look at it in verse 8. Can we see verse 8? Do you see what Jesus says here? It's just staggering. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
So it's not something I do. This is something that God does. And can I tell you, everyone, this is what I'm saying now. It's miraculous. So as Christians, we believe God made the world, and he intervenes in his world, and, 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 and there's something miraculous that he does in us. So God brings us back to life as new people in the spirit world. He radically changes us and our thinking. So what I'm talking about here is a supernatural act of God. That's what we're talking about, in which he takes the Holy Spirit and implants the Spirit in the base of our hearts. He gives us a heart transplant. That is how massive it is. A heart transplant whereby our mind, will, emotions, personality start to go in a whole new direction. So we start to think like he thinks and consequently start to act in his way. I mean, hopelessly, we're still so far short, but my goodness me, we change. And I remember speaking to a rugby mate called Matt and I was urging him to think about Christian faith. And he looked at me and he said, look, Rico, he said, he said, there's no good me becoming a Christian. He said, I'll never, I'll never keep it up. And I said, Matt, mate, given your track record, and I've been on rugby tours with him, I said, I agree. I said, what do you think would need to happen for you to keep going spiritually? And he shrugged, and he looked at me, and he said, I think I need a miracle. Well, I nearly fell off my chair. I said, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's exactly that, in, in which the person looks the same, but God has done a radical change. God has caused us to leap into the spirit world. He gives us, can I say it again? It's just extraordinary, a heart transplant. That's what we're talking about. And you can't do that yourself. So let me tell you what it was like with me. Again, I didn't come from a Christian home. And before it happened to me, I really didn't worry about God, although I do remember praying, oh God, please, please help me to pass these exams and I'll become a vicar. Yeah, and here we are. Here we are. But I didn't care about God as long as he did his bits and he left me to do mine. I didn't care about him. But you know, when God changed me, ladies and gentlemen, I started to love him. It was an amazing thing. I started to love him and I was so glad at what he'd done for me and it was an amazing change. Just the whole center of my life changed. And before this happened to me, you know, the Bible, I just thought it was gobbledygook. Honestly. I used to sit there and leaf through it and, in, in scripture lessons at school. Did you have scripture lessons? We had them once a week. I just would leaf through and look for references to rugby to try and make it re relevant. I found a number I was pleased with. One to referees in John 9, verse 1. I knew a man blind from birth. I was pleased with that. One to foul play in Acts 13, verse, verse 23. So Paul and Barnabas were sent off, and my favorite one was to prop forwards what I was in Exodus 30, a stiff-necked people. That was basically the result of four years of Bible. I mean, I just, it was gobbledygook, but you know, after it happened, I'm not kidding, I'd open the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, and it was like it had my name and address in it. And you might find this Tuesday lunchtime or Wednesday, and then you start reading it, and it's like Jesus was walking off the pages. And there was a little Christian meeting at my school, and I used to go along. And you know, when I went along and I heard the Bible, my heart would burn within me. It would just burn. I just, it, it, I just, I just was staggered with Jesus. Honestly, it was just amazing. 
And before I became a Christian, I only ever prayed when I was in trouble. But after God changed me, I talked to Jesus like he was a friend. And before I became a Christian, there were many sins that I didn't give a fig about as long as I wasn't found out. But afterwards, they became very ugly to me because I knew that they so dis disappointed Jesus. And I'd come to so appreciate him and love him. So it was a radical change. It was a heart transplant. It's being born again. And it's not unlike surgery. You know, the anaesthetist comes in and plunges something in your arm, and the most wonderful euphoria, you know, the surgery sweeps over you. And all the nurses look absolutely beautiful, as well as I can remember, and they put you on a trolley, and the ceiling floats by, the doors swing open, and uh, you see the surgeon. Next thing you know, they go, wake up, wake up. Uh, and you wake up, and in half an hour, you know they've done something. In an hour, you wish they hadn't. In three hours, you think you're going to die, and after six hours, you're worried you won't die. <laughs> so here's the issue. All the good work goes on underneath. And, and you don't see the evidence of it until later. But what I did, and this is the issue, great coming to hear, I kept hearing the Bible. The little Christian group that met after school on a Thursday, I'd just go along, and I kept hearing the Bible. That's what you do if you want to be a born again. God does the miracle, but your job, Tuesday, Tuesday lunchtime, Wednesday evening, is come and hear the Bible. Faith comes by hearing. I just kept hearing the Bible, but all the time, God was doing the work underneath. It was an amazing thing. And I began to find he changed me, and I, so, I started going, do you know, I, mustn't, I must stop using Jesus as a swear word. And he really did die for me. And you should put him at the center, Rico. You should do something about this. But I just kept hearing the Bible. Maybe at the front from church, maybe in a small group, perhaps reading it for myself. I just kept hearing it. It's quite funny. My godmother gave me a Bible for confirmation. And I said to her, oh, Auntie B, I read it every day. To which she replied, that's not what it's for. <laughs> yeah, they really didn't want me to read it each day, but I did. It was so compelling. Dear Godmother, do you know what? She gave me alcohol every Christmas and birthday since then, just to sort me out, I think. So, so what is the new birth? It's a radical change that God does by his spirit. Who needs the new birth? We all do, even Nicodemus. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not loony fringe. Thirdly, what is it that God has done that I can be born again? What's he done? Now, please, could you look, please, at one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3, verse 16. What is it that God has done that I can be born again? I think it's on the screen too. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, what did God do? Do you see what he did? He loved the world. He loved us. I don't know how you view, view God, but this says he loved us. What did he do? Because he loved us, he gave his one and only son, the Lord Jesus. So God allowed Jesus to die on the cross to take the punishment which our sins deserve. Um, I've already told you I got my stupid name in Chile, but after we were in Chile, Dad took us to Africa to grow tobacco. And as a little boy in Africa, there was no children's TV, and I had two hobbies as a five-year-old in Africa, stamp collecting and butterflies, and both were amazing in Africa, and for both of them, you needed one of these, a magnifying glass. 
But I soon found, as a five-year-old in Africa, that making little things bigger was not the only thing a magnifying glass could do. I found that if you took one of these into the midday sun, the possibilities were endless. <laughs> I found that you could set alight a leaf or even a piece of newspaper or even the gardener's hut. And best of all, I found, if you held your twin sister down, you could scare the living daylights out of her with one of these. That was before I thought of ordination into the Anglican church. You see, you can take a magnifying glass and focus the rays of the sun into such a sharp point of intensity that it burns things. Ladies and gentlemen, could you imagine a massive moral magnifying glass the size of this church? And through it are passed, not the sun's rays, but God's righteous judgment at the wrongdoing in his world. And may I say, it's great there's a judgment to come. Do you know 15 women have been murdered in London since Sarah Everard was murdered? And some of them, there's been no justice. It's a great thing that God will judge his world. But it comes all the way down to me. When I've said, well, I'll be God, and there's been gossip and anger and self-seeking and lust and jealousy... I'm not talking about your heart, I'm talking about mine. But amazingly at the cross, all God's righteous anger comes down, down, down and hits one man at one point in history so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how Jesus saves me from the coming wrath. It's a good thing it's coming, but Jesus says, Rico, I'll take the punishment for you. He dies for me. So that's what happens. You see, he was forsaken so that we need never be. And he who was without sin took the punishment our sin deserved. Now, I'm thrilled to tell you that this Tuesday, lunchtime, they're looking at the cross. And Wednesday evening, it's that time, week four, Christianity Explored. Please go and look at it. You see, you see Jesus died so that the new birth can be possible because God is not going to send his spirit uh, uh, the spirit of his son to live in our lives while we're in rebellion against him. Ladies and gentlemen, we need cleansing. We need this fresh start. And so the cross and the work of the spirit come together so that we can be forgiven. I, I, I don't know if you know what your ma name means. Helen means bright. Paul means little. John, any Johns here? John means the gift of God, which may be a surprise to the people sitting next to you. I'm not sure. But, but, but Jesus, of course, means saviour. So the first Christmas, the angel Gabriel said to the Virgin Mary, you'll give him a son, uh, 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 the, says you'll have a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. So every time you hear the word Jesus, and sometimes on the golf course I hear it often, but however it's said, Ladies and gentlemen, it means the same thing. It means he died for me. Jesus, he died for me. I, I don't know if we can rehearse that. Don't, let's not say it out loud. But when I say Jesus, could you just say to yourself, he died for me? Because that's the meaning of the word. I find it overwhelming. Let me say it. I'll say it. Just practice it. Don't say it out loud, but just under your breath. Jesus, he died for me. Jesus, he died for me. You know, you must be incredibly precious to God that he would send his son to die for you. I've got two little boys. I wouldn't let them die for anyone. 
But God sends his son to die for me. Uh, you know, in terms of my identity, there's lots of talk of identity these days. I can't tell you the joy it is to have that right at the center. He knows all about me, and he says, Rico, I love you so much, I'm sending my son to clear up the mess. Just amazing. So where are we? We're going to draw to a close now. Who, 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 who needs to be born again? Everybody. What is the new birth? I mean, if Nicodemus does, we all do. What is the new birth? It's something God does by his Holy Spirit, not what we do. It's a miracle. What has God done to enable the new birth to happen? He has sent his son to die to take the punishment we deserve. And now our fourth heading, the last one. What does God want us to do? What are we meant to do? Let's have a look down. Verse 16, it tells us as we close. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, trusts him, will have eternal life. Now, what does it mean to be trustworthy? It means you keep your word. So if I said, right, first one up to me after the service gets 10 pounds, if I'm trustworthy, I'll give you 10 pounds. I'm not, so don't bother. But what I'm saying is, if you're trustworthy, you keep your word. That that's what happens. Now, what is God's word to us? Do you see verse 16? Gosh, this is crucial. Can we see? Just as we close. God's word to us is, you shall not perish if you believe in my son, but have eternal life. So you won't have to face the righteous judgment I will rightly bring to my world. You won't have to face that. Do you know, Jesus is the most loving man that ever lived, but he does speak of a place called hell. What do you make of that? If he's this loving, why does he speak of it? Surely it's to warn us. And of course, he saves us from hell through the cross for heaven. But amazingly, God says here, he says, if you trust me and what Jesus has done, I'll forgive you and I'll send my spirit to you. Now, 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 just to say, we put our trust in Christ by making a decision. Becoming a Christian is not like catching mumps. You know what it's like with mumps? Your, your throat's a bit sore, and then another day, day later, it's all up. No, becoming a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, is much more like getting married. You don't wake up the morning after you're married and look across to the person you've married and go, hello, where did you come from? By the way, if it was like that for you, you're in need of greater help than we can give you here. No, it's not like that. I took a marriage recently, uh, 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 the groom was called David. I said, David, will you have Alice? Do you notice Will, not how do you feel? I said, David, Will, what have you made up your mind to do about this young woman? Will you have her for your lawful wedded wife, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse? You know what for better, for worse means, don't you? It means whatever the in-laws are like, that's for better, for worse. Will you forsake all others and stay with her? And he said, I will. That's what I intend to do. And God says this morning, ladies and gentlemen, he says, what do you intend to do about the death of my son? I've sent my son to die for you to be forgiven. And he says, what do you intend to do about it? What do you intend to do? That's the biggest question a preacher can ask anyone in life. What do you intend to do about the death of Jesus? And if I may say, you have no idea how humbling it is to ask you that question.
what do you intend to do about the death of Jesus? Will you put your trust in me today and believe I can make you into a new person, I can forgive you, and we can start again together and reverse this mess we're in and trust Jesus? And so I'm going to close now. I know that there's a a prayer coming up, and here's a prayer. And it's for the person who would say, look, the new birth hasn't happened to me, but I want to start again. I'd like to start again. So let me read it to you. Heavenly Father, I haven't had you at the center of my life, but from today, that's what I'd like to happen. I ask you to be my Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me, and please send your spirit to make me into a new person. It's amazing, isn't it? The cross and the spirit come together, and God makes new people, and it's a miracle, and it's based on the death of his son. It's such a privilege to inform you of it. Well, there might be one or two here who are ready to pray that today. If not, I mean, wherever you stand, come Tuesday lunchtime or or, or Wednesday uh, 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 evening for that uh, Christian Explored course to ask questions. But there'll be one or two who'd said, you know, Rico, I I believe this and I need to act on it. I want to do the right thing about the death of Jesus. So if that's you, I'm going to pray it slowly now, phrase by phrase, And if it's right for you, why not echo it in your own heart? So I'll say it slowly, phrase by phrase, and if you want to become a Christian, then why not make that step now? We'd love you to do that. So here it is. Heavenly Father, I haven't had you at the center of my life. But from today, that's what I'd like to happen. I ask you to be my Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me and please send your spirit to make me into a new person. Amen. Great. Thank you so much for listening. It's just a joy, particularly post-COVID, to have the opportunity to speak live. It's just wonderful. So thank you for coming. Um, there's a little booklet here. Adam will mention it. If you've prayed that prayer, I'll be at the back. I'd love to give you a little booklet that just outlines the prayer. But the big thing to do would be to come Tuesday lunchtime, Wednesday evening. Thanks so much.